as we enter the holiday hell season. The real holiday hell, the one right here at ECW, not the one being promoted by the World Wrestling Federation. Todd Pettengill talking about holiday hell, trying to be extreme. The last extreme thing that that geek did was pass a kidney stone on live radio. That, pal, is the highlight of your announcing career. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to December of 1996 for volume 3 of this month's show. Six volumes for you this month. In order, volume 1 is your WCW show looking at Slamboree. Volume 2, your WWF show looking at In Your House. It's time. Volume 4 takes us to UFC with UFC Ultimate Ultimate 1996. Volume 5 is your end of year review show and volume 6 is the all important end of year awards. We're here in volume number 3 to look at ECW and being joined firstly by Eric Larson. Eric, Good, uh, good morning, I think. Eric, hello. Yeah, good uh, 11, uh, 11.07 on the West Coast here. How are you guys today? Close enough, close enough, very well. And a good evening, Chris Lacey. Chris, a lot closer than Eric is. Chris, hello. How are we, Bob? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, we start with the news as always. And, uh, Chris, new champions. This month, we have had two title changes. Um, Raven has regained his world ta- world heavyweight title, and the Eliminators have regained the tag team titles. From the gangsters, we will cover both of those during the show. Uh, more news on one of the big discussion points from last month, the mass transit story, Chris. So, um, details have come out that Culis needed 50 stitches to close the wound, that was in, uh, which was done to him by New Jack, but there was no serious injuries. Um, coming out of it, there is a bit of some issues on pay-per-view. The Request Network, which pretty much is one of the biggest ones in the US, has uh, said as of the 12th of this month that they will not be showing the pay-per-view for the ECW pay-per-view going forward. Um, This basically is looking like that one of the major suppliers of pay-per-view across the US not showing it will do damage to the figures. Roughly about 70% of all pay-per-views held by this company. So obviously now the figure that they will get most they're looking at is a 0.5 buy rate. And Chris, any more info? Because I, I, I know reading through, this is a very fluid story. It's been, well, it's been a fluid story for months, but I think it's it's come to a head in the last month or so, are probably on the back of the mass transit story in the sense that um, basically Paul Heyman did an interview with the Pro Wrestling Torch, I think in early December, to which where he said, oh yeah, we, we've, we've sent videotapes of this to all the major pay-per-view providers and all the TV companies that we're working with or looking to work with just to make sure they're aware of it. The request, the biggest one of them all, a couple of weeks later said, yeah, we don't know anything about it, um, which is, you know, ECW to a T. Uh, you might say. Um, but Chris, where we're at at the point of recording, as I understand it, 
but requests have spoken to them again and it looks like the April date it might be back on the March April time um, but there's still some stuff to get through is that how you understand it uh, pretty much it's they're still looking at sort of dates Easter Sunday keeps coming up as as the most likely of dates with it being a week after WrestleMania. Um, but in doing so, about 10 of ECW's stars have been signed to six-month exclusive contracts. So clearly trying to make sure that they don't lose people in big money matches for said pay-per-view. Yeah, uh, we don't know those names. I suspect we could take a pretty good stab at guessing who they are. Not that we will. Um, but, but interesting, you know, the first... Um, First time, to, to my knowledge, that anyone in ECW has signed any kind of contract beyond just a kind of show-by-show basis. Um, and ECW kind of taking on WCW in, well, just the latest uh, latest round of battles when it comes to talent acquisitions. So ECW have sent legal papers to WCW regarding a report from the ever-popular and libelous Mean Jeans 900 number that... Scott Levy, a.k.a. Raven, will be going to WCW. Obviously, ECW have uh, put in a formal legal complaint about this. So, as such, we probably might not see him going just yet. Well, probably one of the guys that was uh, signed a six-month ECW contract, you would think... You'd imagine so. That that would make sense because they you would imagine anyone they didn't might be a bit of risk of leaving. Uh, and finally, uh, a match between Barry Dudley and Brian Lee interrupts a hockey game in New York. Yes. So um, at a spot show, Brian Lee and Bubba Ray Dudley managed to go onto a roller hockey rink whilst the game was still in play. Lee grabbed a stick from one of the players and hit Bubba Ray with it. Then Bubba managed to throw them through into the goal. However this probably looked for the game whilst going on was probably a sight to see. Um, Also in said match, people going through merchandise tables and even referee getting choke slammed. But, of course, only in ECW. Only in ECW. Eric, any input on any of the stories we're talking about? Talking about, uh, spoken about. Right, well, the, I won't hammer on it, but the mass transit uh, situation, that just seems like it's going to continue to snowball into 1997. Like you said, the ramifications of it well, probably haven't been fully developed, but in my non-podcast uh, uh, world, this one really uh, hits me at the core, and I, I'm afraid that ECW might might not survive this with all the legal ramifications that that it could bring but we'll see uh everything else you know good to see raven good to see them put a the belt on a on a somebody who can actually wrestle a 10 minute match without uh shenanigans or interference in raven and i'm not going to be surprised if we don't see new jack uh, anytime soon in ecw uh with uh everything that's going on so the eliminators uh getting the belts back uh not very surprising in my opinion well, we, we, we saw that New Jack was a, a, a very regular feature on TV this month, but I know what you mean as, uh, as time goes on, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see about all of that. Uh, yeah, so first of all, let me just quickly plug Patreon while here's people. 
probably now very well know we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. We're offering early access to shows like these, or if you just want to say thank you for our podcast output, you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs. Links on our website or in the podcast description. Um, a quietish show this month, I think as was the case to a point um, this time last year as well. ECW do some shows kind of early doors, but no big one. Uh, and then around Christmas, they kind of close up. So there's TV, but as you'll, you'll see when I go through the TVs, they kind of run short of stuff to show us. But still, there's some uh, interesting stuff worth sticking around for, certainly, as we start with uh, TV on December the 3rd. I think you never can tell where ECW is concerned. We see fan cam footage of an impromptu match or a live event between Rob Van Dam and Taz, which stops when music hits and we see the BWO in the crowd. It's pinned while having a Taz mission locked in, but he turns it over until Van Damme gets the ropes. Taz doesn't release the hold, and some jobbers come out to pull him away. We see highlights of Mikey and Chris Candido from last month. Joey Styles, as always, attempts to say the match was a close one, even though Candido won by a mile. He then says Mikey found himself without a tag partner at a recent live event. Given recent events, that may not have been the smartest thing to say, given what happened in Revere a few weeks earlier. Uh, Candido praises Mikey and their eventual opponents, the Eliminators. It's nice to see some ECW in some different venues as it feels a bit more memorable. Mikey goes for a Frankensteiner, a Frankie Mikey off of the top but gets shoved through a table on the floor. This match ended up being quite decent. The Eliminators finish off Mikey with a total elimination. We then get a lot of promos out of the Holiday Hell show. We see a lot of Buna McGillicutty. You get my drift. We finish back at the first live event with Tommy Dreamer, Paul Joey, and Francine before Brian Lee interferes, enabling Douglas to pin Dreamer. Douglas goes after Beulah, but Pitbull 2 comes out and runs off both Douglas and Lee. Taz warns the BDO, BDO the BWO, not playing darts. Taz warns the BWO about doing dumb shit during his match. Gary Wolf. In the season to be merry and jolly, you can thank yourself for being such a big man because you've given. You've given, Gary Wolf. You've given of yourself. In the season of giving, you have given of yourself. You gave to me the franchise. You were block number one in the building blocks that have built my legend here in ECW. Gary Wolf, as you sit this jolly season in your house... And you've got the tears welling up in your eyes because you'll want to get back in the ring. You've got the heart of a gladiator. Like each and every one of us have an ECW. You love to participate in the sport of wrestling. You love it hardcore. You love the pain that goes along with the injuries. You cannot stand, though, Gary. You cannot stand that an injury has taken you away from the sport that you love. But hey, Gary, you've got so much to be thankful for. So much to be happy about in this season of giving. So much to be thankful for as you sit around your Christmas tree. (laughs) Because, Gary Wolf, (laughs) you have something far greater than I could ever give you. You've got your memories, Gary Wolf. (laughs) You are such a man. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got your girl. (laughs) <laughs> now we move on to ECW Holiday Hell Eric if you can keep us off with the results of the show Sure thing uh, The Dudley Brothers comprised of Bubba Ray Dudley And Spike Dudley defeated Little Guido And Davey Paisano Also known as David Tyler Morton Jericho In a tag team match 
Uh, Balls Mahoney defeated Devin Storm. Gary Albright defeated Rick Rage. Brian Lee defeated Louis Spicoli. Taz defeated Rob Van Dam. Uh, the Gangsters defeated Axel Rotten and Devon Dudley to retain the ECW World Tag Team Championship. Uh, in a mixed tag, uh, Francine and Shane Douglas defeated Beulah McGillicuddy and Tommy Dreamer. Sabu defeated Perry Saturn. And Raven defeated the Sandman in a barbed wire match to capture the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. And a caveat, as with a lot of these small ECW shows, the results of the evening and the tape that we got were slightly different. Uh, there are a few of the matches on this show that we didn't see. Clean one uh, between Sabu and Perry Saturn that I have read described as horrible, uh, largely down to Sabu being very jet-lagged and apparently four tables breaking prematurely, which is a lot by any standards. Because um, you'd think by the time the second one did, you might change plans but anyway uh chris of the show we saw what do you think it was an easier watch than last month though that would have been because it was half the length of last month but all in all the in-ring stuff it was good but not as the highest level that we have seen from ecw through most of this year eric first foray into ecw on the podcast what do you think Right, well, you know, I've watched a, a fair bit of ECW in my time, and, and the thing that struck me about this show, or at least the, the tape we watched, uh, there was no balance between the violence and the, and the wrestling, and that's usually what uh, makes ESPN, uh, I'm sorry, uh, ECW uh, palatable to uh, to a wider array of wrestling fans here. I think owning to the fact that the Sabu-Perry Saturn match, which was probably meant to be the wrestling match on the card, was uh, apparently the shits, uh, this is just a little bit too violent uh, without any uh, wrestling uh, to balance it out. So an uneven card, but still, still decent, uh, still a decent watch, all things considered. Yeah, um, you know, I, I always have to say this with ECW shows, but I often wonder whether your perception of this show just depends on how much of it you've seen. Um, and, and more importantly, what you've seen, in that sometimes I feel like watching a lot of ECW means you might enjoy certain shows less. And yet on this occasion, I actually kind of wonder whether, having seen a lot of ECW, I probably enjoyed the show a little bit more. Uh, as Chris alluded to, the, the copy of the tape we had last month from November to Remember was about wall-to-wall about three hours, and this was right. about half that length, which helped. Um, and Chris, I don't know about you, but in a, I, I'm, I'm giving them far too much credit in this in this case. But just a nice release to see some different pairings. Mm. It was it was one of those of the matches weren't rinse and repeat like we normally have been having recently. Um, obviously, Taz and RVD, you know, makes sense, but it's a new matchup. Um, you know, uh, Brian Lee and Louie is different than Brian Lee being a goon for Dream, against Dreamer or doing something for Douglas. Um, Axel and Devon going for the titles is different than it being the gangster or the eliminators that we had recently. You know, of course we've had the standard of Douglas and Dreamer and Raven and Sandman, which we, we sort of have to have. You have to have one of the running feuds going through. But, you know, having a few different matches in there does mix it up and make it, makes it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the stories of the month as a whole. But 
we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come to those various bits as we get to it. Anyway, we open with the promo from Little Guido questioning JT Smith's judgment following him losing a loser leaves town match last month. He says he, if he has the guts to return to the ECW arena, then he'll kick his ass. Not sure Smith's going to return anytime soon. I think he's left the area. Uh, first up, it's Little Guido and David Paisano. That's David Morton, Tyler Jericho, as Eric mentioned the results, versus Bo Ray Dudley and Spike Dudley. Sounds Paisano on Guido on the outside. There's about a metre between the ring and the guardrail, so he just presses Spike over the top onto them both as well. Fast chant, let's go Spike. Spike gets Irish whipped into a chair, being held up by Paisano and just about kicks out. This is chaotic to follow, given the editing, lots going on. Spike kicks out of a tiger bomb by Guido. Boa gets a hot tag, fires Guido off the ropes and then hits an exploding diamond cutter, which Joey calls a bubba cutter. Paisano breaks up the pin, but Boa hits a bubba cutter on him too. Then Boa kind of sits on the top rope. Spike then jumps on his shoulders and comes off of Bubba's shoulders with a big splash and the Dudleys win. Chris, what do you think of this? It was plot highlights, so, you know, it didn't have that point where it drags on a little bit. But from what we saw was really good. Um, Spike, as we haven't really seen much of him, um, him as the babyface in peril looks really, really good and is really believable because of his size. And those bubba cutters, if he's going to continue doing those launched ones, I can see them being really interesting if he starts using tables or chairs or something like that as part of them. They could get really interesting really quickly. I think Dom Dallas Page might need to... uh... Nick, the exploder part of that spot. Eric, what do you think of this match? This was a fun little tag match. Uh, I think Bubba's uh, designed to, to get Bubba over and, and maybe to get that, that Bubba cutter over, and that's just a top-line finisher, in my opinion. Uh, Chris is absolutely right. Spike takes a hell of a beating, uh, maybe one of the best in the business. Guido's really good, too. Um, didn't really see a lot of uh, Paisano in the in the version of the tape that we saw, but this is just a, a fun little match with an excellent uh, tag team finisher with Spike and Bubba. No complaints at all. No, you're right. Um, you know, just uh, you know, in terms of the opener, what we saw, we didn't see that much of it. Um, but that probably helped in that when you've got kind of, you know, Paisano's been around a couple of months, Spike's been around a couple of months, Guido's not been around that long, and neither was Bubba. From a viewing perspective, you don't necessarily want to see 10, 15 minutes of these guys because it's like, well, none of them are really over. Um, but I suspect they cuts out the bit where the match was a bit flatter and we ended up with highlights and yeah, Bubba's like for, for, for all they've been hiding Bubba, like he's quite good. Like, you know, it, it, it's almost like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him in a, you know, that kind of spot we saw Hack Myers in last year against someone like Sabu and Stevie Richards and people like that. Um, just see if you can give him a longer match and see whether he can go. Um, he might be able to. Seems like he's got those big power moves down. Whether he's capable of wrestling a big long match, we don't know. Um, but yeah, decent little owner, I thought. I right, move on next to the bulldozer, Brian Lee versus Louis Spicoli. Chris Candido joins Joe Styles on commentary. Uh, the, the story they're telling with Candido is that he's ill. Um, that is largely a bit of a kind of story for the sake of the match. This does get, when they, package this for television they do front it with about a three a two or three minute interview clip with candido not that you need it to make it need to see that to make any sense of the match uh, but as it appears on hardcore tv there is a bit more context to it versus what we see here 
Oh, that made sense. Uh, Lee runs over Spicoli with a clothesline. He goes for a big boot, but there's way too much daylight as they mistime it. Lee hits a trio of running elbows for the down Spicoli. Spicoli blocks Lee into the corner. The ref tries to pull him away, but he shoves the ref over twice. Spicoli is bleeding above the left, above the eye. Lee puts Spicoli in the crowd and climbs to the top before thinking better of it. He resets by putting Spicoli this side of the guardrail, grabs some brass knuckles, I think, and comes off the second rope and hits Spicoli in the crotch. They get by the merch table. This is going right around the back of the fans. Lee suplexes Spicoli through the table. He then gets us given a small violin, I think. We get back towards the ring. Eventually, Lee bounces Spicoli's head off a supporting beam. Back in the ring, Lee places a chair on Spicoli's chest. Comes off the second rope. Spicoli launches a chair at his face. That looked really good. Spicoli rallies, hits a body slam, but Lee pokes him in the eye. Spicoli, now blinded in both eyes, it seems, hits a death money driver on the referee. Lee goes for a primetime slam, but Spicoli kicks him in the bollocks, then hits a death money driver. There's no ref, so outruns Candido, who attacks Spicoli, till he gets hit with a death valley driver. Out comes Shane Douglas. He puts on the referee's shirt. Spicoli hits Lee with another DVD, and Douglas counts the pin. Obviously, the match is still going on. Douglas and Spicoli start brawling after the match. Spicoli sets for a death valley driver. Lee then knocks Douglas off, hits a primetime spam on Spicoli, and the fallen ref counts the pin. Out comes Pitbull 2. The numbers game catch up with him as well as Candido, Douglas and Lee take control. Candido hits a splash from the top. Lee then picks Pitbull up and hits a primetime slam over the top through a table on the outside. That looked really nice. Eric? Yeah, Bob, uh, as far as walking brawls go, this one was okay, but I I do think they could have used uh, the editor's uh, discretion a little bit more here. It just felt like it went on a little bit long. Uh, with the with the brawling part of it, and you know this is a this is a pretty good match. Louis excellent in my opinion, and he looked great in a loss. What I'm more interested in in this ending, I thought you know it was kind of convoluted, but as far as ECW goes, not that much. Uh, and I think Candido and Shane and Lee could be a really cool heel stable. You, you know, you look at every good stable in the history of wrestling. You got Candido as the strong worker, kind of the measly little uh, twat heel. Shane can be the mastermind, the Ric Flair type of the group. How ironic would that be? And then Brian Lee can be the heavy, and they can mask his obvious deficiencies in run-ins, tags, managerial roles, uh, etc. So I, as far as the match goes, it was fine, but the end of the match, I think, is far more interesting. Chris? Yeah, um, as Eric was saying, uh, the, you know, it was the sort of your standard walking brawl. Um you know, it was a good brawl. It was it was a good quality. You know, they did some good stuff there. Um, but as you were saying, obviously with Douglas and his two new buddies, reminding me very much of Shane before he left when he had uh, Benoit and Malenko as his as his little running mates. Could we get? It's not a... like downgrade in that department. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're not they're not as good in the ring as those two. But obviously, we've seen it before where Shane quite happily has. Bodies and bodies to do his do his bidding for him, and it would then mean that he's got so it can give him a new aspect to the feud with Pitbulls. It can mean that he's got other bits and pieces that he can go forward with. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with it. Yeah, um, I said that the match was fine. Um, I, I think both guys are probably capable of better, but I think you know you both kind of alluded when you 
given how you ordered your answers, that clearly the, the priority with this match wasn't necessarily the in-ring action. It was kind of everything going on around it. Um, and with the viewpoint that uh, as a trio, I think Eric's right, Douglas is the, the front man. You've got Candido, who is the best wrestler of the three. I don't think Douglas, if you asked him on the right day, would disagree with that. And Lee is is a guy with enough upside. Um, you know, he's, he's a spot guy who I think you can... I think you're right. You know, Lee and uh, Lee and Candido as a tag team would make a hell of a lot of sense. They're they're still trying to work out what they're doing with Candido, and it's not to say they they join them together, but there was enough um, insinuation going on they might during this match. Um, and yeah, the angle just about works. I think Spicoli is this. You know, we're going to talk about this more probably in the end of year review show, but Spicoli is part of this kind of group of guys that ECW have brought in this last few months that's more kind of now what ECW is going to be about in 1997 where it's more about rather than using guys on the way up because the guys on the way up there's so much going on with the big two that the guys on the way up aren't going to be staying around in ECW much you know, for any kind of length of time you've only got to look at Dan Crawford and Doug Furness for, for an illustration of that um, but Spicoli's one of those guys kind of got spat out the other side by the WWF, a bit like Candido. And it's like, well, this guy's better than the, the some of his parts that WWF gave him. Can we do more with him? Um, and yeah, I, I think as I alluded to at the top, it was just nice to see Brian Lee not working with Tommy Dreamer. Feels like he's been doing that for six months. And that's probably because he has been. Um, and I see him a bit longer of a match. And, yeah, I, I think the angle just about worked. Chris, a, a bit more on, on Douglas and the triple threat is maybe the best point for for us to discuss this. Um, I, I think you're right in the sense that it is going to make sense that if they're going to do Douglas against the Pitbulls going forward, that him as the heel act can have the numbers game, assuming Pitbull 1 comes back. Well, that's the thing. Um, there, was, there was a few sort of rumours that I didn't want to sort of cover in the news because it was not non-confirmed, but Pitbull... Uh, one is pretty much looking like he should be back in the early part of next year. So obviously, if you're going to have both of the pit bulls, you can't just put them against Shane and Francine. So you sort of need to give Shane some some buddies, or at least sort of one person that he can team with. So obviously, putting him with Candido and Lee means even when the pit pitbull one gets back, they still have a, a numerical advantage. It will still sort of leave that heel side of, you know, Shane being an utter little cowardly prick, and you know taking advantage where he can, which is what he should be as the as the, pretty much the main heel on the company. Yeah, um, I, I think in that regard it makes sense in that the Pitbulls can reunite and and Lee and Candido can get run over, and then Douglas is the guy that claims the advantage just because he's a spare man. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Eric, any more thoughts on we move on? Only that I think this also presents an opportunity to put Louis uh, in a in a relatively long long term storyline. He could maybe come in and help the pitbulls uh, even up the the numbers game uh, down the line as well. So I think everybody comes out a winner here. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. We move on to Rob Van Dam versus Taz with Bill Alfonso. They face off. Taz marks a line in the ring. Matt Van Dam walks right over it. So Taz slaps him, and we get underway. Taz goes straight for a choke and takes control. He hits a double arm hook German suplex. Van Dam hits a monkey flip, then a drop kick from the second rope. 
Taz regroups on the floor, so Van Damme gets on the top and hits a somersault plancher to the floor. As ever, these spots always look a bit weird when the guy taking the move has to just blindly stand there and wait to catch him. Anyway, uh, Taz is struggling. Van Damme hits a double underhook face buster and a rolling somersault splash, but Taz gets his knees up. Taz runs over Van Damme with a big clothesline. We go to the outside and Van Damme gets whipped into the guardrail. Taz hits a suplex. Alfonso is going nuts on his whistle. Taz then hits a lovely northern light suplex of the bridge for a near fall. Van Damme grabs a chair, hits Taz with it, then just flings Taz into the corner and launches a chair at him. That got a great reaction. He then drop kicks the chair into Taz. The chair uh, throws Taz, then throws the chair back at him and starts rallying. Van Damme throws a chair at Taz, who catches it. Van Damme hits a spin kick for a lovely near fall, and the crowd are right behind him. Van Damme misses a spin kick and Taz hits a big German suplex. Taz goes for the Taz mission. Van Damme actually manages to get to his feet, but Taz keeps the hold locked in. He collapses to the floor again. Van Damme hits a leg sweep, but Taz manages to hang on. Van Damme gets to his feet, does the Bret Hart spot from last month, runs up the turnbuckle into a pin, but this time Taz kicks out. Then finally sits in the move and Van Damme passes out. Chris? Well, this was awesome. Um, RVD is taking on the mantle of Sabu of let's use a chair in really initiative ways and sort of going, I know what I can do. I will use it like this and just brings out random stuff. Um, Lobbing the chair seems to be a better way than hitting people than just actually hitting them with the chair. I mean, it looks so so much better. Um, Taz, again... Great suplexes. Every month we say it whenever we see Taz in matches, but the way that he throws people about, I could sit there and watch that for hours. <laughs> and our, our good old favourites, it wouldn't be ECW if we didn't say that fucking whistle and Alfonso yeah, being, yeah, annoying, being an absolute fucking annoyance outside the ring. That so much so. That it never gets old, does it? Sorry, Chris Carroll. But, you know, the mix of styles in this, really, really interesting. And if anything, it it's a bit of a taster of what we could get from Sabu and Taz when that finally happens. Because obviously RVD isn't as dangerous and sort of, you know, throw, triple jumping himself over things as Sabu is. But that sort of mix of high-flying and sort of innovative offense against getting thrown around with suplexes. We've sort of got a nice bit of a taster of it, and I can't wait to finally see that Taz and Sabu match. Eric? This was a very good match. Uh, it was a step off at, at times here and there, and I think part of that is uh, it seems like RVD maybe needs to slow down and, and find his, find his rhythm a little bit more. He's going to be great uh, if he if he learns to, to, to slow down and appreciate the, the pace and the psychology of matches a little bit more, but very minor complaint overall. And Taz looks like a fucking killer. There was a spot here, and, and this is one of the suplexes that Chris was alluding to. He just folded up RVD with a beautiful, perfect German suplex. RVD was literally bent in half. Uh, and, and still, all things considered, RVD was made to look very strong. He was in the Taz mission for a very, very long time before he tapped out. Everybody came off uh, better than they were before this this match here, and in my opinion, this was clearly the best match of the night. Oh, it's um, 
That's not even in question. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, one of those matches where both guys got over as a result of the finish. Um, and one of those matches where like, it, it's the kind of finish, you know, you can't do it too often, but it's the type of finish that I wish ECW would do more. You know, try and be a bit more decisive and you can actually get both guys over rather than trying to just cover things up with run-ins and interference and trying to protect both guys. Like You actually enhance both guys here with a more decisive finish, which helped. But the match was really good. Real contrast to styles, like you both said. Um, I agree with Eric that Van Damme is the guy that has a lot of the tools right now, just needs to learn what to do with them. Um, but that's going to be exciting to see how he learns, how he learns to have this kind of better style of match, a slower style of match where he can show off what he can do, but in a way that actually means more rather than just that chaotic type of tag match he was having with Sabu, which has its own strengths. Um, I, I, I think this is... I think one of the one of the big points regarding Taz is that as good a year as he's had, I don't know how many great matches he's had. This was one of them. One of the great matches, what standout matches. This was a standout match for Taz, um, in the sense that it felt like it got him over, but not in a way that was just a pure squash. In a way, it was like actually we saw more of what Taz can do. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that really good. And, and, and Chris. Um, Excited for Taz and Sabu because you think it's going to be this kind of match? Because, I mean, I, I, I didn't finish this match and go, oh, yay, great Taz and Sabu, necessarily. See, I, I was going with the, sort of, if you look at the styles and that they work, they can go together the way they did there with RVD and Taz did with this match. I thought that, you know, the, the styles work together and I can imagine... Sabu taking some of those suplexes and probably knowing how Sabu's mind works will probably go, you know that suplex that you do where you sort of launch someone? How about you put me for a table while doing it? It's going to be one of those sort of... When it finally happens, it's going to be amazing. And it was just enough of a sort of taster to it to make me think that it had, sort of see how good it will be when it finally gets there. Yeah, I prefer this kind of taster to the t- kind of taster where Joey Styles desperately attempts to fill in wrestling wrestlers wrestling towers and saying, oh, that's a Sabu-type move, which is just an ordinary move, Joey, calm down. I prefer yeah. this kind of thing where it's like, this is the kind of match we could see between these two. I think that's a, a stronger story. But yeah, in short, one of those matches where both guys got, were more over at the end than they were at the start. Uh, Eric, um, I mean, you'd have seen bits of him, but thoughts on uh, Bill Alfonso? Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so upset if, uh, as part of that Taz, uh, Sabu blow off that, uh, before Taz went through a table that maybe Fonzie didn't swallow that fucking whistle. Um, I don't, I think he'd be a fine manager overall. He's a smarmy little heel. He's kind of like your extreme Jimmy Hart, how Jimmy Hart has the megaphone. Alfonso has that whistle, but gosh, I don't. That, that whistle, I know it's said every month, and I'm going to step in here to the ECW pod and say it myself. That whistle is beyond getting heat at this point. It's just annoying, and you can't even you can't even listen to the matches. You have to turn down the sound at some points because it's so it's so grating, and it just at, at this point adds nothing to to Taz, and it almost detracts from the in ring action because you can't help but keep one ear on that. 
I don't know about that. I mean, that was the, the, the kind of thing I'm going to say, and you'll hear me discuss this on the end of year shows, is that I, I feel the Alfonso Act is, has survived the test of time for such a, such a very one, two-dimensional act. There's not a lot to it. Comes out, he's smarmy, he's annoying, he hides behind Taz, the match starts, he blows a whistle a lot, and he's blown a whistle a lot more in other matches in previous months than he did do here, it should be said. Um, and, and then when the camera gets on him, he offers some heel-type running commentary. Um, Chris, I think the Alfonso character is holding up, do you? Yeah, um, the fact that, you know, we say it in sort of jest every month, that fucking whistle, um, we we sort of know that we're meant to hate him. You know, that's the point of a heel manager. You know, the thing about him, we are meant to hate, and it's working. So, you know, it, as of now, I'm still quite happy with him being there, doing what he's doing, and, you know, being who he is. Sort of give it another year, that might change. But, you know, as as of now, you know, we've had a year and a bit of it, and he's still, you know, doing a good job because I fucking hate that whistle and I hate him. But I don't yeah. want to see him gone. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of the feeling that even if Taz wins the match in April, I wouldn't mind the writing off Alfonso for a while. Just because uh, I think you're right. If he's around for another 12 months in the same kind of role, his ability, his positives might not be able to outweigh his negatives for a lot longer. Um, but at the moment, he's fine. At the moment, it's working. Um, but yeah, I, I think that even in a losing effort, Sabu needs to take out Fonzie. Even if Sabu loses the match, that needs to be one that he takes down with him. And then you can you know, take Fonzie off a of telly for a few months and then bring him back either with Taz or something different. Um, I think that would be Probably strong. moaning about something, knowing him. Yeah, yeah. Here's uh, here's Devon and Axel Rotten. Uh, they get interrupted by the BWO, who are throwing bingo cards into the crowd. We get a brief promo from both Meaty and Nova, and the richest tiles go, buy the shirt, buy the shirt, in the style of Kevin Nash, I thought was really good. Uh, Richards then calls him Ian Rotten, which riles him up. Devon hits Meaty with a chair, and the match starts out. It looks like Richards, oh no, it's not here, the gangsters, the BWO have just buggered off. Uh, so I think it's Devon Dodley and Axel Rotten versus the gangsters, New Jack and Mustafa. We get baking trays and the usual rack of rubbish. This is your usual gangster fare, including jump cuts. We see New Jack Pardrive Devon by the stage while the other two are in the ring. And then my notes simply read, fucking hell. As New Jack puts Devon on the table on the floor, climbs up to the eagle's nest and then just runs off with a fantastic splash. Must have been a good 10 feet drop, accentuated by some real nice camera work. Uh, Rotten hits a pedigree onto Mustafa. Stevie lines him up and then hits a lovely super kick. We then cut again. New Jack comes off the top with a splash holding a chair. Pins Rotten for the three. And then the segment finishes with New Jack and Mustafa putting a BWO shirt on as the BWO look on in the crowd quite happy. Should be said while we're on the subject, BWO now have a fourth member. Uh, it's Brian, uh, Rob Feinstein, uh, the, the, the kind of guy that films a lot of the shows. He was on, um, a couple of months ago in, on, uh, on camera uh, they've dressed him up as six uh, or aka the one two three kid and they're calling him three and a half which i, I think is, is is quite good anyway uh eric what do you think of all this well this was your uh 
an above average gangsters gangsters match, and it's the only match they're capable of of really doing. So it was fine. Uh, it was nice of Devon to fall asleep on the table long enough for New Jack to climb all the way up and and hit him with that. It turned out to be a, a beautiful uh, splash. Uh, you know, good match, uh, but you know, fair is fair. I feel kind of the same way about the gangsters as. Our friend Jeff Parker feels about Shawn Michaels, so I don't know if I'm the best critic of a match like this. Moving swiftly on, Chris. It, as Eric was saying, it's pretty much you know gangsters by numbers, but that stage dive, fuck me, that was impressive. It looked um, like he was skydiving. Like it's just, yeah. the, the, the thing that made the move so spectacular wasn't just everything else. New Jack takes a run up, jumps, and then for about a good half a second just manages to hold his position while he's flying through the air. The camera gets a real nice view of it. And then he just goes covering a skydiving position, crashing through Devon. Looked really nice. And I loved how Devon sold it with the, sh- with the, the sort of convulsing afterwards. Sort of, you know, give give Devon some views there for selling it even more to make it look better than it than it already did. Um, I wouldn't imagine that he'll be doing this too often because I can't imagine it being the safest of ideas for diving off things like that. But you know, it's a new chunk to the arsenal of the gangsters. Watch his new Jack just jump jumping off shit. Yeah. Not not the uh, not the worst thing to have. But yeah, it was all right. You know, we didn't see enough of it to really make a judgment, and it was another kind of arena wide brawl in amongst your, your usual kind of fair. Um, but yeah, that splash made that match. I'm not sure anything else would have done. BWO is nice. They've been doing the BWO, uh, BWO stuff all month. I'm not sure it's um, it's been necessarily as strong as it was last month, barring the odd little bit. Um, but you know, they've got the BWO shirts now in in blue and white that look really really nice. Um, and yeah, they've done a, yeah, they've done an okay job. It was, uh, I, I suspect one of those matches more for the live crowd than for anyone else and, and more power too in that respect. We move on to the semi-main. We were kind of rattling through this show, all the bits we saw of it. Anyway, it's Shane Douglas and Francine versus Tommy Dreamer and Beulah McGillicutty. Fans chat, little dick at Douglas. Music hits, but Douglas grabs the mic. He wants a proper intro, then insists on announcing Francine himself. Francine looks very, very good in wrestling gear. So does Beulah, who gets a hero's welcome. Douglas asks Dreamer, is, what is he going to do when Funk isn't here? He calls Beulah a wench, tells the fans to kick his ass. Dreamer calls Francine a no-good slut, and the match starts with Dreamer. Douglas hitting Dreamer with the title belt. Douglas baseball slides Dreamer into the guardrail and cracks his knee off of it. Fans do the Francine takes it up the ass doodah song. Douglas hits him with a chair. He then hits a drop kick, uh, uh, drop kicks a chair into Dreamer's leg. Francine gets involved, so Dreamer pulls her trunks down, and ECW goes blurry. Francine slaps Dreamer, and then jumps on his shoulders, enabling Douglas to regain control while he gets thrown off at the top. It's Douglas over the ankle with a chair. Joey Styles then ludicrously actually compares this match to the Thriller in Manila. Just gonna. Let that one linger for a bit. Uh, Dreamer goes after Francine. Beulah gets tagged in and the women immediately start rolling around, which gets huge ECW chance. Dreamer sets the power drive Francine until Douglas stops him. He goes for the figure four. Dreamer escapes, then Douglas counters an Irish whip, sending Dreamer into Francine onto the on the apron and sending Francine, crash, Francine crashing into the guardrail. 
I don't think a four until Beulah gets involved. Francine actually slaps a fan in the front row. That doesn't get mentioned, so I guess it wasn't a story. wasn't the only story of uh, some fan interaction in this match. I'll detail that in a second. Figure four, Francine comes off of the second rope and smashes a breaking tray onto Beulah's head. Dreamer apologises Francine. We get big ECW chance. Dreamer goes to climb to the top, but Beulah stops him before going up there herself and hitting a highly dangerous and pretty good moonsault. I mean, all the credit in the world for trying. Uh, but it did look like she smashed her knees onto uh, Francine's legs as she landed, which didn't look fun at all. Beulah does the Ravens pose, as does Dreamer. Douglas then levels Dreamer, uh, and then he hits Beulah with a belly-to-belly and pins her for the clean win. Now, interesting about this, and I'll, I'll have to ask both of you, because I, I didn't pick up on it at the time, and it's possible the reason I didn't was because it was in the video. Stories in this match of Shane Douglas getting into an altercation with a fan on more than one occasion. Apparently the fan threw the first punch and Douglas started retaliating and Dreamer, God bless him, got involved and managed to calm the situation down. Then apparently later on in the match, Douglas went back to the fan and started attacking someone, apparently with someone else, i.e. attacked the wrong person. Um, Chris, did you pick up on any of that? I didn't see any of it during the match. It's only stuff I've read subsequently. No, I was going to say, what if if they did, if it did happen, which I'd, I'd imagine it did, because obviously the reports, it wasn't shown on on camera. No, I don't recall any big jump cuts in this, but I'm guessing kind of brawling in the crowd. You can edit around that without too much problem. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, there was the bit. I, I don't know whether there was anything, but Francine ended up slapping someone in the front row as well. So I don't know whether those two things were linked either. Um, but Chris, I, I, I think just uh, an illustration of. Well, I don't want to say what Douglas has got going for him. You know, there's, there is a fantastic piece in the, the Pro Wrestling Talks by Bruce Mitchell, which I, I highly recommend everyone goes back and read. Um, just about everything ECW around the mass transit thing, about the pay-per-view thing, and just talking about ECW in general. And he kind of said, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like it just all adds up. Douglas getting into a fight with people in the crowd is just part of what ECW is about and not necessarily in a good way. Your, your thoughts on that and on this match? Well, We'll sort of do the Douglas thing first. Um, a, it is a good thing because it shows that Shane is that much of a heel and hated that much that fans are going to swing at him. It shows a bit of an unprofessionalness that, you know, he's punched back. But, you know, you go to ECW, you sort of have to expect it. Um, as for the match, this was really, really enjoyable. Um you know, the norm, man-on-women man violence. It's ECW, we expect it. Um, both the girls did really well, you know, as they're both not actual wrestlers. Um, you were saying, obviously, that moonsault looked a little bit shady with, you know, landing on the knees from Beulah. Um, and obviously, this gives both Shane and Dreamer another feud to sort of sit on that isn't either Raven or the the Pitbulls. And obviously you can use, as we did, uh, as Eric said earlier, obviously you can put Louis Piccoli in with the Pitbulls. But you can also use Tommy now as well um, in the Pitbulls sort of to even it up if they get into the, the six-on-six sort of stuff or three-on-three stuff, should I say. Um, so, you know, it, it was the sort of match that you would get at an ECW event that does exactly what you expect it to do to the standard you expect it to do. And, you know, it is, it is, it's as good as it should be, which, you know, is 
as you'd expect from from the professionals that they are, that they can do the job that's expected of them. Eric? This is an angle for uh, equal rights. I think we'll get that, uh, made that very clear. Um, I think, you know, I'll look at the positives here. Shane, in my opinion, and I don't think it's a controversial one, is probably the best all-around performer in, in ECW. Uh, we, we've talked about he's not the... Not the greatest wrestler. Uh, he's probably not even the best they have directly on the microphone. But when you put everything together, yeah, he's he's money, and, and it's no wonder why he gets so much heat uh, from the crowd. I didn't see the brawl either, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if the lines of uh, kayfabe got blurred with Shane. Um, yeah, this was for what this was. This was a, a perfectly uh, acceptable match in terms of, of what ECW wants to do and what they want to present. Um, even all that said, even with all the caveats, this is ECW. It's still not fun, at least for me to watch. Uh, you know, for example, Tommy grabbed Francine uh, by the crotch and then puts her up for a pile driver and her dress falls off. And that, as much as I watch ECW and I've seen pretty much every major show of the last couple of years, it still doesn't make it comfortable or, or I don't get used to it. And so if you kind of learn to turn your head at those, this was a perfectly fine match. But I'd like to see them move away from from these kind of angles as they go into 1997 and try to expand the business. And I think they're going to have to if they want to get a pay-per-view and want to get a national audience. Yeah, um, this is one of those matches where I think in isolation it's quite a fun match. And yeah, some things, there were some things definitely working for it in the sense that the, the women felt like the star attraction in this match. I mean, it helped that D- Douglas and Dreamer, as they should have done, handled the bulk of the match. Um, but it felt like from the get-go, they were almost kind of the side attraction to the women. Like, Beulah was... You know, it's been a while since a, 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 a character or actor's got that kind of baby-first reaction in, in, in ECW, or feels like it. Um, and in part because, you know, she's baby-faced Beulah, and, you know, you don't see her very often, and all that kind of thing. Um... But we, yeah, we we've been down the road with 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 females in ECW before, and it kind of touched on that wider point that that Bruce Mitchell got up that ECW is a product of its audience, and it, it knows its audience, which is a big strength, but it's also a big weakness in the sense that pushing stuff towards that niche does kind of run in run perpendicular from growth essentially. In the, as Eric alludes to, if you want to grow ECW onto a more nationwide stage, into a more palatable product while retaining those kind of quote unquote hardcore values, this is the kind of thing that you are going to have to get away from. Um, I think there are, you know, if you're looking at different kind of aspects and different kind of characteristics of ECW as a whole, this is one of the things that won't survive the quote unquote expansion, I don't think. And it's just kind of, no, you're right. Um, but equally, let's let's put all that aside and, and bring this back into the realm that ECW is in right now. I thought this worked really well. Um, it was, you know, we, we talk about fresh matchups. We've done Douglas and Dreamer before, but it felt a little bit fresh. And when you had the women in, it felt a bit more fresh. Um, and Douglas, as, as we alluded to in this match, as we've seen over the last few months, is really over as a heel in front of this audience. Like, impressively so. Talk about Alfonso. Alfonso is more annoying and I'm sure Taz might like to think of himself as ECW's biggest heel. He's not. This guy is. Like, this guy's getting the reaction. It's the old thing that the the smart fans are the easiest ones to work. Douglas is the one that's getting the reaction. Um, 
but yeah, Chris, Chris, what do you think about the the, the whole kind of ECW expansion stuff and all that kind of thing? Because this is one of those things that isn't going to survive, I don't think. This this is a sort of a conundrum that they've got to be looking at. Um, what what are they willing to change or even give up? in going forth and being sort of more mainstream and getting a bigger audience, you know, because the, the few thousand that go religiously to the ECW arena expect what they see most weeks, you know. They see, you know, man-on-woman violence, flaming tables, people jumping off sort of high ceilings through tables and all that sort of stuff. How much of that can be kept for the mainstream, or do you keep it all in and go? This is why we're different. You know, is is that sort of how how much they want it? Because if they keep it all in, then they're going to find very quickly that the mainstream shuns it because the mainstream aren't going to like the the man on women violence. Some of the stuff that we've seen them do, sort of the, the table stunts that we've seen them do, they'd probably question some of that too. But then are they, are they, would they then just be a, an ECW light? Would that then have the main core audience, which has been behind them since the inception three years ago, would they then leave because it isn't true to what it has been and what what it is that's gotten to where they are now. Yeah, I think it's it's probably going to be a thing that will manifest itself in the next few months. One of the stuff I was reading about kind of going into these pay-per-view discussions is the pay-per-view providers want a lot of assurances up front, both in terms of, you know, they want doctors and medics on site, they want, you know, they want, after the Eric Kulis thing, they want clearance on exactly who's going to be on this show and one of the things that um, you know, Paul Heyman, I suspect, you know, he, he says he's happy to do it. I, I'm not sure it worked if he wasn't. He's saying, yeah, that's fine. We'll let you know who's going to be on the show, in part because they're all going to be on the contract. So that makes sense. But I think as well, the other thing is they kind of want assurances over what the boundaries are. Um, and this is by no means the most extreme thing that we've seen from ECW, but what pay-per-view providers might see as extreme and what a wrestling fan might see as extreme are probably two different things. And this is going to be one of them, I think. I don't know, I don't know that a pay per view provider is going to want to see man and woman violence. Um, in fact, I'd make a very good guess that they're probably not going to. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of thing plays off. But in the world that we're in right now and in ECW in the bubble that it's in right now, I think this just about works. Uh, well, other than Joe, Joe Styles call it, <laughs> comparing it to the thriller in Manila. Anyway. We've got to the main event. We have presumably have quite a long interval because the main event is a barbed wire rope match for the ECW title between Raven and Sandman. Raven has tied his hair back, which is a surprisingly strong look, actually. Um, you know, compared to uh, compared to what he usually looks like, uh, he's obviously done that back because his head doesn't get caught in the ropes. Uh, Sandman at the start of the match also gets his trousers torn in the uh, in the ring ropes too, um, so that didn't work for him either. Um, but yeah, so all in all, basically, they just took down the three ropes and, and just replaced them with barbed wire. Uh, so here we go. 
Raven hits a snapmare, then punches Sandman in the nuts. Sandman goes for a spinning toe hold. Raven kicks him off, and Sandman falls into the ropes and basically ends up being hung about halfway down to the floor. Raven picks up Sandman and crotches him on the barbed wire. Raven props up a table against the guardrail, then flings Sandman into it. Sandman lands on it and then breaks it as he falls backwards in the other direction. On the table, this time Raven puts it in the ring. Raven rolls Sandman into the ring and kindly lifts the barbed wire up so they won't get in Sandman's way. Sandman charges at Raven, pushes, uh, pushes Raven into the barbed wire and puts himself through the table. Sandman then drops Raven across the barbed wire. Sandman has Raven's shirt and that's got barbed wire stuck to it. He whips Raven with it. Sandman says, uh, shirt says, pop one open, fire one up, now let's get extreme. I got a good view of that while Raven was hitting with a cane. Sandman gets draped over the top rope of barbed wire. Sandman takes some wire cutters and is basically taking the ropes apart. He wraps Raven in barbed wire, then wraps it in himself, or wraps himself in it, sorry. His face is bloody for running off of the ring and hitting a jumping cane shot. Salman took a run up and threw himself at Raven who moved off of the table and Salman went through it we get a table in the ring Raven gets Salman on it then attempts to pile drive him through it predictably the whole thing collapses before he can do it that was inevitable I don't know why he ever thought that was going to work uh, Raven then pile drives Salman onto the broken table pins Salman in one of the flattest title change reactions I have ever seen in the ECW arena Eric boy gotcha Hackenschmidt this was not um I was disappointed at that flat reaction, Bob, uh, that you mentioned because for what this match was, these guys went out there and absolutely killed themselves uh, to entertain that crowd, to pop that crowd after what was seemed to be a pretty long uh, card, uh, and and the crowd just did not give them the reaction that I think they deserved. Maybe they were just disappointed that Raven won and this feud is going to continue. I don't know. Um, but, boy, these guys just absolutely brutalized themselves and – uh, as far as barbed wire matches go, this is pretty much what they are in my experience. I've seen a fair bit of Japanese death matches, uh, a few of ECW's uh, prior barbed wire matches, and this this is what they are. And it, for what it was, it, it was good. And it's just if you can get past uh, the, the obvious pain that these guys were probably in throughout, uh, they they did a pretty good job. Uh, and as far as Sandman matches go, this is kind of what they have to be. And it was it was just fine. Yeah, Chris, I, I think it's just one of those things. That, you know, a barbed wire match is restricting, and you're working with two quite limited guys anyway, and this is what you get. Yeah, it pretty much was as good as it could be, really, between these two in a barbed wire match. Um, I, I, it's one of those of the the whole concept of the barbed wire ropes. I think it doesn't doesn't really work. You know, you could have the barbed wire match and sort of either do it though, you know, it's a sort of fence of barbed wire or, you know, you've got the tables with barbed wire on or something like that. But the sort of the ropes, because it limits even more what people can do and then they sort of got the wire cutters out to get out of the ring and do things like that. It just, just doesn't really work. And, you know, it was, it was what you expected. It was hard hitting. It was violent, you know. There was there was bit moments of people wrapping each other in barbed wire, but you know it shows that this is all that you can do in these type of matches, and I'd quite like. Chris, would it be fair to say that? Chris, sorry, Chris, would it be fair to say that two much better wrestlers would have got a better match out of this format? 
because I felt like for I felt like for the first few minutes this was going to be a really interesting match just to see how these two work when they couldn't use a lot of shortcuts, and then they just started using a lot of shortcuts anyway, and I kind of went a bit flat. Hmm. Well, the thing is, it'd be one of those of if you use the concept of the barbed wire being around the ring as a way to keep people in, i.e. like a cage match, but then use the barbed wire like as, like sort of how the WF does when they have their cage matches where, you know, they'll rub their face against the cage or, you know, they'll whip them into the cage, you know, but the majority of the match is done in the ring. It'll be, you know, doing, doing things to keep away from the edge. You know, you have two better guys in there, for argument's sake, Tommy and Shane, they would probably do a much better match than, than these two, but it's because those two can work in the limitations of being in a ring and sort of doing actual wrestling. Whereas, you know, if Sandman doesn't have his cane, he's pretty much, that's him limited to what he can do or going up the top rope to do that awful leg drop. Yeah, I think the onus on this style of match is that you've got to really build to the danger spots and I felt they just got there way too quickly like for a couple of minutes it felt like they were going to try some you know try some wrestling and try some teasers of whipping one another into the ropes and not being able to do it and then it just started and then we got to the outside and it's like oh it's just another match and it was like, ah, oh, that was. I, I was actually a little bit disappointed because I was, I was thinking, oh, this is how. How can these two pull off a good match in the confines of a ring because they can't get out? You build to it, you tease the spots, you do the barbed wire spots, and then you kind of come to a conclusion. As it was, they got out. Yeah, the, the the best spots in the match were probably the early spots. The best spots were when Sabu kind of got properly thrown into the ropes and ended up kind of halfway towards the floor, kind of being held on by barbed wire. And when he got crotched on them later on, that was a bad hit. Um, it got to the outside and it was just another match. Um, and then, Chris, we get to the finish. They, they try the... Pile driver on the table spot, which what happened earlier in the night with, with Sabu and Saturn seemed a bit folly anyway. Seemed a bit folly anyway, full stop. I mean, just, you know, those tables aren't going to take two people's weight, certainly not of those size. No. And then, I think as Eric alluded to, I think the crowd were flat for the title change because it was, oh, it's Roman again. That was the impression I got. To, to be fair, when Sandman won it, they weren't overly enamoured. So, are, are they really that fussed of either of these two having the title? Um, I mean, I mean, you could quite have easily they, had. They, they, popped, they popped when Sam and Pim Richards, didn't they? I mean, maybe they just popped for the change, but they didn't pop for the change here. Hmm. But it, it's just one of those. Where I think they they could do so much more with that title than what they're doing with it. Um, I get, you okay, know, we've had this discussion a lot before. I think it's uh, we could probably have yeah. more in the uh, in the end of year review. But yeah, it's just uh, this this feud feels like it's been going on forever, and it's one of those like it it, it doesn't really feel like it's ever any good, and yet we're still here. Um, Eric, any good... more thoughts? You know, we talk about the, the heavyweight title being on the wrong guy, and I'm not going to repeat what you guys have said over the course of months, um, other than that I agree with it. It just feels like, other than the tag belts, you know, it almost feels like Shane should have the, the world belt, and uh, 
Raven and, and Sandman can go on and have their feud. And Raven's taken enough from Sandman. I, in in storyline purposes, I wonder if Sandman even cares about the, the belt, considering his family has been taken from him. And then maybe maybe put the, the TV title on, on a good worker like Taz or on Sabu and, ha- and give that... Uh, give that feud some extra, uh, some extra boost and have RVD in there too. Just something to get the world belt away from these guys. Put Shane in the main event where I think he belongs to be, move these guys down the card and just kind of reshuffle the order of things because this did not, like you said, the crowd did not treat this as a main event. The, the championship belt seemed, um, seemed secondary or even, or even lower than that in all the stakes in this match. And yeah, so I agree. Everything that's been said over the past six months between these guys can be repeated here. And it's just starting to become even more obvious if it wasn't already. Yeah. For what it's worth, I think it's Dave Meltzer mentioned that the, the possible kind of co-headliner of the pay-per-view could be Terry Funk and Raven. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that Terry Funk is a great prospect at his age anymore. Um, I also don't know, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I don't know if there's anybody in in that position on ECW's card that could be used alongside Funk to where the match quality would be of a massively higher standard. So in that case, you might as well do Raven in that he's probably got the prestige. And him and Funk could be fun. They could have a lot of fun build ahead of that match. And they um, and- those guys are two guys who are willing to take an absolute beating. So if that if that's the match they want to do, then yeah, I think Ravens just as good as anybody else to to take a pounding from Funk. Just hopefully we can uh, we can move on from Raven and Sandman. But as I kind of said last month, while Raven's still got Sandman's family, it does feel a bit like we're just waiting for that to come to a conclusion or some form of close. Anyway, that will uh, wrap up our review of this show. Uh, Chris, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of ten. Well, you know, it was, again, another one of those mixed bag ECW shows where we've had some really good and we've had some fucking utter rubbish. The um, fact it was only 90 minutes does help, so I'm giving it 6 out of 10. Eric? RVD Taz was clearly the best match of the night, in my opinion. The opening tag was fun, too. There was a lot of really gross stuff on this, but that's what you get for ECW, and it's it's part of the package. Uh, again, 90-minute show definitely helps. Um, this was an average. I'd give it a 5 out of 10. Yeah, 5 for me. Uh, RVD and Taz was very good without being outstanding. Um, everything else kind of was what it was. There was noteworthy things in a lot of matches without anything really being that standout. But, you know, a fun little 90-minute show. Um, I wonder how we'd have perceived this show had we had a really good Saturn and Sabu match. And I kind of feel like those two could have a really good match if they get the time. Um, that, that's the kind of match they might do next month. I'd be inclined to see, intrigued to see if they did. Um, but yeah, five out of ten from me. Good evening, losers. I'm the quintessential stud muffin, Joel Gertner. And in case you missed last week's grim, gaudy, somewhat Gertner-lacking escapade, allow me to give you a brief recap of what happened on last week's program. Sandman lost. Raven won. End of story. That's it. Nothing more. And what's perhaps more significant than the fact that the Sandman has now lost his belt, lost his wife, lost his child, is that not only did the alcohol-dependent, nicotine-addicted, cane-swinging, barroom brawler, pool-hall-pest, swapping scourge 
upon the wrestling society lose his championship, but that his main adversary, Raven, the post-generation X slacker, came out of rehab to win the ECW title. And what's perhaps even more significant than all of this is not that Raven won the belt, but that I, Joel Gertner, predicted it weeks ago. I knew it was going to happen. I saw it on the horizon. I told everybody, and nobody listened. I was right. You were wrong. I was right. You were wrong. You were wrong. I was right. Right, wrong, right, wrong, right. Not like Lance Wright, that wannabe Sunday morning superstar, but right like Joel Gertner, and not wrong like you. Right, wrong, right, wrong. Heads I win, tails you lose. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. Lesson taught, lesson learned. You're out of luck, cause I'm out of time. Educated, ignorant. Important, Impotent, wealthy, welfare, wannabe, Joel Gertner. And just the TVs to finish, we start on December 10th with Joe Styles giving us a potted history of the ECW world title. From Douglas in 94 through until Raven's latest win at the weekend. Seriously, ECW, I'm not sure reminding us of all these really average championship reigns was such a good idea. Anyway, in December, as I kind of said at the top of the show, one of those months where ECW kind of didn't have that much stuff to show us. We got a lot of live event stuff. Well, they're all live events, but a lot of non-ECW arena live event stuff. A lot of look back from the year, etc., etc., which is which was probably more good than bad. Uh, we see the BWO angle and subsequent Devon and Axel Gangsters match. The new Jack Table spot looked really good. The BWO interrupt Joel Gertner. They need an announcer, and Stevie says Gertner can be their Bish. Gertner stands up for Bischoff before saying, if the BWO wants the Hype Central segment, they can have it. We get brief promos from Van Damme, then Taz and Alfonso. We then get an interview from Chris Candido, setting up his cold illness for this match we're about to see between Spicoli and Brian Lee. Candido was really good there. We, set, we see the match uh, up, uh, then the conclusion. See the match up, sorry. Then the conclusion with a promo from Raven. He says there's only one man who's capable of beating him, and he's been trying to do it since he was a child. Joey says Tommy Dreamer's name. Raven says no. Me. December 17th starts with an unbearable promo from Joel Gertner. He really is annoying. Joe Styles gets a bit shirty about Todd Pettengill using the term holiday hell. We see a Mitch tag from holiday hell followed by a promo from Shane Douglas where he's bragging about how he hooked the leg and grapevine the head just to be sure of pinning Bueller. Then more Gertner. Really nice from Douglas that. R- r- rubbing in, pinning a, a female essentially in ballet. I thought it was good. We then get a montage looking back at Douglas's year. During this clip, we go back to the real early days in 1993 when Douglas turned on Dreamer during a tag match against Kevin Sullivan and what was then the Tasmaniac. Douglas nailed Dreamer with a chain. We then see a clip from Holiday Hell this month of Dreamer having the chain on him but not being able to use it. Then a match where Douglas nailed Dreamer with a chain and the ref disqualified Dreamer. Again, that was from three years ago. We get Wish Happy happy Hollywood Days from the BWO. Nova can't rip off the BWO shirt. Steve Richards is feeling generous. If you buy one million BWO shirts, you can get one free. Can't really argue with that. 
December the 24th opens up at the Orange County Fairgrounds of New York with the King of the Hill Battle Royal. Taz, who's carrying a shoulder injury, says he wanted to be seeded first, but as he isn't, he won't be competing. He calls out Sabu, the light goes out, and when they come back out, Sabu appears. But it's all a bruise as the Eliminators come out from nowhere and hit a total elimination on Sabu. They beat up Sabu for a while, and apparently the match has started. This is like a Royal Rumble type thing, although it seems like you could be eliminated by being thrown over the top or by being pinned. Uh, which I guess actually is quite a nice addition. Uh, th- these are my notes. They're not extensive, but we will discuss them at the end. The, the gangsters get eliminated. Uh, sorry, the eliminators get eliminated, and I don't make note of them. I didn't see that bit. Uh, the battle all breaks down with the gangsters and the eliminators going at it. The eliminators eliminate the gangsters, then do a double pile driver onto Sabu. Van Damme comes out wearing his pyjamas. It looks like next up is ECW newbie, Balls Mahoney, then Little Guido. Spike gets pinned. Next out is Bubba. We then get a string of eliminations, which leaves us with Sabu, Bubba, and the Eliminators who are dominating this. And here's Candido. Sabu came off the second rope and inadvertently took out both Eliminators. Brian Lee comes out and gets a large rest in peace chant. Lee eliminates Bubba by doing his primetime slam through a table on the floor, which won't ever not look good. We get Douglas, followed by Dreamer, who's going for both Lee and Douglas. Douglas sees this coming and eliminates himself, which looks really nice. Sabu launches a chair at Saturn. Devon ends up nailing, uh, Dreamer ends up nailing Devon with a chair. We see Louis Piccoli, who goes straight after Candido and eliminates him. Salman is here too, and the BWO. Stevie kicks Devon and eliminates him, and then hits Samo one two. Any idea that Lee is affiliate, Lee's affiliation with Raven might create an alliance is short-lived as he eliminates all three members of the BWO. Lee eliminates Saman, Sabu eliminates Lee, and Sabu wins. Eric, uh, just this is probably the only bit of TV worth discussing. What, what do you think of this type of match and this, you know, I, I don't want to call it filler, but I guess it kind of was. But as, as a live event, what do you think of this? I suspect it was filler. You know, what I imagine is that this was the, maybe the slot they were going to show the Savu Perry Saturn match uh, from Holiday Hell, and when that match turned out to be the shits, they had to fill it in with something. Maybe not. Maybe they were going to show this match all along. But either way, I think you know this was a good little cluster match. Everybody got their stuff in. Uh, a lot of people looked strong, and I think it was good for Sabu to to get a good win over practically the entire ECW roster uh, in place of. Uh, looking strong against uh, against Saturn keeps him strong, and uh, looking forward to his match against uh, against Taz. Chris, we talk about ECW's ability to be fluid with storylines and how things can intermingle. I think this was a good illustration of that. Yeah, you know, all the way through, you've got little sort of bits of story going on. You've got obviously the beginning bit with Taz and Sabu. You've got obviously the gangsters and the Eliminators going at each other. Um, obviously the the triple threat stuff with when Shane comes out, eliminates himself, and obviously Primetime and Candido helping each other. Um, As Eric was saying, he sort of doesn't think this would have normally been on TV. Um, But this is the sort of thing, if they sort of do these sort of matches at live events, it's the sort of thing, if I was going to a spot show, that I'd be quite happy to see some of this, because you're going to get to see all the people that you know off TV. Um, and I think for pre-Christmas TV as well, perfectly fine to be put on. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Um, just, you know, a nice little filler match that kind of got over a lot of little storylines in small different ways. Um, and, you know, 
like a, a nice decisive win. It would have been nice there'd have been something on it of note. I think there was money on it. I think they said, but other than that, it would have been nice if there'd have been a a title shot on it or something like that. If you want to set up January, I know it was a live event in New York, and maybe they weren't planning on showing it. Um, but it would have been a nice little bit of contact if it was just a setup or something later in the night. Anyway, we get a long montage looking at Dreamer and Raven. Joel Gertner says ECW fans would rather have a man with style than a man called Styles. He introduces Shane Douglas. Douglas calls Dreamer a franchise wannabe. Beulah a penthouse pig. The BWO interrupts a singer in New York to chant BWO. Richards and Meany pose around the city. Santa starts chanting BWO. They tell him to shut up and Stevie super kicks him. We end with the news that the Eliminators have won the tag titles again. Final Hardcore Team of the Year begins with a look back to the gangsters winning the tag belts in August. We then see the finish of the match in New York, literally just the top elimination and the three count. Mustafa tries to take the belts away and we get a standoff between the four of them as the gangsters hand over the title belts and the Eliminators raise the gangsters' hands. We're going with a new triple threat of Shane Douglas, Brian Lee and Chris Candido. We then get a fan cam footage of Candido versus Van Damme. Shay Douglas comes out and gives Candido a chain. He levels Van Damme with the ref downed. Louis comes out in a ref shirt, hits a Death Valley driver on Candido, and Van Damme pins him. Joey Styles is then speculating that Taz has a shoulder injury following his match with Van Damme. Taz cuts a promo by his car. He criticises Van Damme's use for chairing that match. Taz says he's going to show him disrespect. Joel Curtin then wishes us a happy new year from Hype Central. Joey Styles then announces Terry Funk will be coming back to the ECW to face Brian Lee. I like that. Good little fresh match for Funk. Douglas is cutting a promo a week these days. They're clearly flagging material on this show, so we go back to the match between Douglas and Pitbull 2 from Heatwave in the summer, where Francine turns on Pitbull, though we do get to see her ass again, so there is that. We get we see Francine getting super bombed through a table, which was really good. I forgot how balmy this whole thing was. Douglas hits Pitbull 2 with a title belt, then breaks a bit of wood over his head. We follow that with the match from October, where Douglas lobs Pitbull 1 to the Matt Varys halo. whole thing is fantastic. Douglas being bundled out of the arena and peak Joel Gertner. Uh, Eric, quickly, uh, you'll have seen this. What do, you, what do you think of all the Douglas Pitbull stuff, the, the highlights? Just your thoughts on that. Oh, it's so good. It's such a great angle. Just you have this horrible, horrible heel in Douglas taking Gary Wolf by the halo and throwing him down. Such a good angle. Uh, blurs the line between kayfabe and reality. And what we're talking about, the crowd ate up every bit of it. Uh, Paulie attacking Gertner. Oh, it was just so fun to watch. So good to, to, Remember all these things that have happened leading up to this uh, to this inevitable uh, blow off. I would imagine between Douglas and Wolf at some point. So yeah, this is a this is a top top notch angle in my opinion. We finish with a title match between Raven and Mikey Whipwreck in New York. It's about five minutes left in the show, so don't expect miracles. Laurie Fullington is also there, as are the Blue World Order who appear in the crowd. We do get Jump Cut, which helps the time along. They're also clearly, clearly piping in BWO chants. Another Jump Cut, a DDT from Raven, and that's enough for him to retain. I'm expecting Sandman any minute now, and here he is. Raven DDTs him. Laurie starts caning Sandman. Mikey actually tried to stop her, but Raven just ran him over with a title belt. Sandman gets up, swings to the fences. Raven ducks, and Sandman gets DDT'd again. 
Raven snaps a Singapore cane. Sandman then hits a dangerous-looking DDT before grabbing half of the cane and the title belt before leaving with the title belt. And it looks like this one is going to go into 1997. And that is where we will finish that. Eric Landstrom, thank you very much. Bob, it was a pleasure joining you and Chris on this uh, foray into ECW. Good fun. What, 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 are you, what are your kind of more general thoughts? It sounds like you've seen a fair bit of ECW. What are your thoughts on ECW around this time? Yeah, I, you know, I always I always like ECW, and I think there's clearly a, a progression that you can see if you started in 94 or 95 to now, just in uh, even in some of the complexity of storytelling, the the amount of time that they that they give to build these these long storylines, especially you know you see uh, Douglas and Gary Wolf, uh, Shane and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sandman and Raven is is going on too long, but at least there's there's substance to that to that story. I think ECW if they can uh, if they can figure out how to balance, if they could figure out how to balance this uh, problems we talked about with. Uh, with the mixed tag match into some of these really good high quality storylines that they have and, and motivated performers, uh, you know, they're in a good place right now, but to, to pull out a 20 years ago mode, they never really were able to, to find that line and it's disappointing. Eric, you can be found on Twitter. Yes. At uh, modern day lawyer. Excellent. And Chris Lacey, Chris, thank you very much. You're welcome as always, Bob. Uh, yeah, a year of East, another year of ECW in the books. Chris, what you're just, I know we're going to do it in a bit, but general thoughts on ECW around this time, same kind of question? Well, it's it's been another year where ECW sort of has, has moved forward with what we've sort of expected to see with them. You know, we've seen longer storylines, we've seen better story arcs, but at the same time it is holding itself down with limitations. But as you said, we will get more into that in our year in review. We will indeed. Chris, you can be found on Twitter. At Lacey555666. And also, my musings of WCW from from 1992 on Super Rolls. Which is Super at Rolls Super Rolls on uh, Twitter and obviously Super Rolls on iTunes. Excellent. Quick reminder, we are on Patreon for five bucks a month for early access for shows like this, or just to say thank you for, for our, all of our output, you can uh, head to patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 virus, uh, or links on our website and in the podcast description. Six volumes for you this month, volume one, WCW looking at Starcade, volume two, WWF looking at In Your House. It's time, volume four, our latest foray into the UFC, looking at UFC Ultimate Ultimate. Volume five, we're about to take the end part of it a bit, uh, looking at the end of year review and volume Six, the end of year awards. Anyway, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Wrestling20RS, Wrestling20RS.com for your back issues, your back issues, your back episodes, your blogs, uh, iTunes link, uh, RSS subscription, everything's on the site. Uh, you have, uh, you know, if you would like, you can donate to us on Patreon. If not, that's absolutely fine. And we will roll on into 1997. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. And this has been Volume 3 of the December 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.